this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we'll be joined by the two newest voices of Monday Night Football, play-by-play man Joe Tessitore and his analyst Jason Witten, the former Dallas Cowboys tight end who one day will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Joe Tessitore, Jason Witten on this week's Adam Schefter podcast. First of all, Joe, Jason, thank you very much for taking some time today. Congratulations to both of you on a very prestigious and well-deserved honor. And I want to ask you, Joe, what the tryout process was like, being that you basically auditioned with every single person that ESPN brought in. Uh, it made me thankful that we have leadership at ESPN that thinks the way that they think. And that, that's truthfully it, because they allowed for me to go all the way in on the process. And that was very important to me. And I think because of that, um, and the ability to say, okay, what fits, what feels right, where is their chemistry? Listen, everybody who's on the list to audition for Monday Night Football mm-hmm. is talented, has incredible football IQ, has the bona fides, but I wanted to really get to know everybody, and that took our executives, our leadership, trusting in the process of being completely open-minded and allowing me to, to dedicate the time and and to for us to fly people in and Jay Rothman, Lee Fitting, Stephanie Drewley, all these names that football fans don't know, and Connor Shell and Jimmy Pataro, they they've impacted the game because that's they wanted to be that thorough with the process. And the end result of Jason Witten, Booger McFarlane, um, I couldn't be more thrilled with. But the but audition the way, process was a, was a crazy story that someday I'll have to write a book about, Shefty. You're going to have well, to help me with that. Well, that's fine. But the way this worked for people that don't know is, I guess somebody would come in to Bristol yes. and you would literally call the game the Chiefs Titans playoff game over and over and yes, over again. So you must, have, you must have called that game what, ten times, twelve times? Yes, twelve times. And <laughs> I could probably do it blindfolded right now. Um but really and, and Jason and Witt will tell you this, I would tell you that the audition and the process took place with candidates on the phone three weeks before then. Talking ball, getting to know each other, coming to my house the night before hanging out in the afternoon, drinking good wine, having good, you know, Italian apps, having a long dinner and talking ball and talking life and laughing and busting chops and having fun and telling great stories and then going and calling an entire game and then going and doing a podcast and then going and realize what the chemistry like is on air. We wanted this to be a close proximity to what it's like to work together. And then and only then do you get the best representation of said candidate to get the end result that you want. What stood out about Jason's audition? Um, authentic, hardworking, um, able to go in any direction at any time. If you want the erudite XO, great football guy, you could get that. If you wanted the laugh-along buddy, you could get that. If you wanted a global talk NFL, big picture, league, um, game flow, um, the ability to think like a head coach with game strategy, the ability to see the entire offense like uh, a long-in-the-tooth quarterback, um, but yet the ability to understand every position on the field, which a lot of times the default hire for jobs like this is the recently retired coach or the recently fired coach, or the legendary quarterback. And there's a reason for that, because they give you a certain perspective. To have a position player 
who has all that perspective and more and a, a different approach to understand line play, to be able to see everything pre-snap and give you something to look for. Not necessarily predict the play, mm-hmm. but give you something to look for. Um, and then the chemistry. I mean, Witt and I just get along so well. And very quickly in our relationship, I think there was a trust that was built up where it was like, listen, you're my guy and vice versa. And, and, and when you have that, it's a comfortable broadcast. It's very comfortable. Jason, what stood out about that audition process to you, aside from having dinner at Joe's house with his son and his son's friends, his prep football teammates from Choate Rosemary Hall? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, even though he did all those interviews, uh, he made me feel like we were at Arrowhead calling the game live, playoff football. And I think that's the beauty of, of Tess, is that he wanted all of us to feel um, – welcome and that he was teeing us up in a lot of ways it was a great process i mean you know I, I was going through it with some other networks as well and you know just something was different with Tess and the entire team i mean there was uh cohesion chemistry i felt that and it was very real when i went through that process and uh something that you know that they were very welcoming to me and to have me to their house and playing in the yard you've heard some of those stories but uh it just it was very natural for me and i think Certainly, you know, it's a new lane for me that I'm going to be entering. Uh, kind of like you're in a new lane, Sheffy, watching you call NBA playoffs from the <laughs> sideline. But, That's very good, Jason. That's very good. I'd like to see you staying up on things you enter like a new that. lane, there's a lot that you got to learn and you got to do it. And, and when you go through that, you want to make sure you have the right team around you. And, and Tess made me feel comfortable throughout the process. And so did the, the entire team at ESPN. Now, Jason, you had said you were coming back to play. So when you're brought in for this audition, and eventually ESPN offers you that job. How difficult was that process for you to go ahead and take this and walk away from something that you love so much? Well, I think, you know, throughout the process, January, February, March, early April, I was playing football. Uh, you know, I was always one of those guys that was assumed that his, his approach to the game and love for the game was that, hey, I was going to die on the vine, so to speak, playing football. And uh, I, was, I was okay with that. I figured that's what I was going to do because I had so much passion. The great thing about Jerry and, and Jerry Jones is that uh, his counsel and his relationship over the years, he's been a lot like a father figure to me. So I was very open with him, communicated with him through the, on the outset of what this potentially could be, become. And so he was very great of, hey, Jason, I want you to go up there. This is an opportunity that you can't pass up. And, uh, you know, he had some some witty advice, go give them the goods, you know, is what he told me. And uh, it was great through, throughout that. And then once it came, it allowed me to take a step back and have to process that. I am 36 years old, and I was at a point where I've probably been day-to-day for three years now, Sheffy. And, and, and when you are day-to-day, it allows you to take a step back, and much I love this game, to have an opportunity to go look at it through a different lens and to share the knowledge and my insight and what I experienced over the last 15 years to our viewers that was something that really excited me, and teammates were great. Coaching staff was just incredible throughout the process. And, you know, last week, uh, as I reflect back on it, to have an opportunity to retire and to celebrate uh, my career and my family over the way that, that the Jones family and the Cowboys did, it, it, was, uh, it was a remarkable week for me. Now, Jason, the Cowboys have been a pipeline to national network jobs. Troy Aikman did it. Tony Romo has done it. Have either one of them given you any advice that has stayed with you moving forward here? Well, they've been great. You know, it happened so fast. I mean, literally I went from a morning workout uh, in the off season to uh, an interview or, or 
an audition, if you will. And so I haven't had a, uh, really enough time to deep dive it with these guys. It's a great relationship with Tony. Last 15 years, getting to know Troy, Daryl Johnson, so many others. Uh, they've been really good to me, sharing their knowledge. And I think more than anything, just you got to be yourself and get comfortable with that. And so uh, I've watched them, I've, I've communicated with them, and I'll continue to do that over the next few months uh, to get their insight because they made the transition and did it really well. So let me ask this question. Last year we saw Jay Cutler go to the booth, and then Ryan Tannehill tears his ACL in training camp. Shefty, I'm going to kill you. Why? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, Joe, right? I'm just telling you. What would happen if the Dallas Cowboys were winning or lost their tight end or all of a sudden some team calls Jason in the middle of this and says, Jason, we want you to come play tight end. We're going to match your salary. Great opportunity. Come win the ring. Am I, is management, by the way, going to fire me for this question? I'm just curious. What would be your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I, I'm that, – that, that's kind of came and gone for me. I mean, I, uh, you know, I did love playing, but I know how much work goes into that. And that's no disrespect to any of the other guys that have, have made that transition and then gone back to have an opportunity to play. But it's very clear during this process, and a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, in my meeting with, with Jimmy Pitaro, that was one of the things that we discussed. And, I, you know, the, I'm so thankful for my journey, and I know how much I poured into it as a player, how I prepared, how I trained at my age. And so – I think for me, that's what forced me so long to, to go through this process. Why I took so long over the weekend and four, five, six days uh, was because I wanted to make sure that I had inner peace about this decision, that I didn't want to go back and forth. And so uh, I'm in a great place. Uh, I think that's, that's unwavering. And, uh, you know, those guys have got a good team. They've got a good core of young players down there in Dallas. I wish them the best. But... You know, for me, part of the uh, the joy from playing comes from the process. It's training camp. It's the meetings. It's the dinners. And so to make think, hey, I haven't won a championship. I'm going to dive back in there and get on this five week run. That's just not my style. I'm going to be all in, and uh, I- I'm excited to be able to share kind of this insight that I have. Um, you know, I love the fairy tales too, Sheffy. I do. But uh, you know, in this case, it's going to be a different one. So what gave you that inner peace, Jason? What was it that said to you, I can go on and not look back at all? Well, I think just spending a lot of time in reflecting, uh, thought and prayer, spend time talking to my family. Jerry was unbelievable throughout this process, hmm. uh, the honest feedback that I have. So I think that's what allowed me to have that inner peace. I took the time to think about where I am at in my career. And also, when I went through this, I was amazed at how fascinated I am with this and having the opportunity to share it. You know, for many years, being a captain for 11 years in my 15 in Dallas, you know, a lot of what I had to do was put out fires, and it's a different approach. And so, you know, if I'm going to be worth my salt, so to speak, it, it's going to be I have to be able to be objective and bring a different view to the game. And, and so that's what I'm most motivated by this and excited for. We'll be back with more from Joe Tessitore and Jason Witten after this. You guys got this tremendous opportunity. Monday Night Football is an illustrious franchise, decorated history. Joe, what are your earliest memories of Monday Night Football? Oh, I mean, being a kid of the 70s, you know, growing up with Howard Cosell and Dandy Don, and I don't know, I, I think I may have shared this with you, Adam, but, but I, I've, I've shared it with a few others in recent weeks. But, you know, I grew up the son of an immigrant in an yep. Italian-speaking neighborhood in Schenectady, New York. And one of the ways that my family assimilated 
mm-hmm. to American culture and 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 everything was was sports television. You know, we were obsessed with football and horse racing and boxing. And my grandfather, who I loved to no end, he didn't speak English. He loved watching Howard Cosell, Monday Night Football, and also Wild World of Sports and all the fights with Ali. And I would do a Cosell impersonation, and my grandfather would roll. He would laugh so hard. It was the way, as a young kid growing up in an Italian neighborhood in Schenectady, New York, that I could connect with my immigrant grandfather, is I could impersonate Cosell. Now, obviously, I mean, I've been football obsessed my whole life, and I, you know, and great, you know, deference for everybody who's come before me in, in this job with, you know, Al, Al Michaels, and Mike Tirico, and Sean McDonough, and every, and you know, Gifford, and Keith Jackson being the first year, and of course going on to college football. But you know, my earliest memories undoubtedly are making my grandfather laugh by way of impersonating Cosell. And when I got the job, all of my older aunts and uncles and my cousins it was the first thing they said. They said, "Can you believe this?" that now you're, you're in that booth that he was in when that's our greatest memory of your childhood. Can, can we get that Cosell impersonation? Can oh, we do man, it on the that's, spot? that's a rough one, Shepton, because <laughs> I'm sitting here in Times Square at a hotel in New York City, not far away from Madison Square Garden, where back in October of 1974, the greatest entertainer got up off the canvas to resurrect his career. I am not speaking about the great Ali. I am speaking of Francis Albert Sinatra. There, whose birthday is today, the day we're taping this, by the way. Who's that? Frank Sinatra. December 12th. Oh, I thought his birthday was today. I saw Do him you think today. I don't know when Frank Sinatra's birthday is? <laughs> Obviously, you're... The second greatest you're, Italian-American of the last century? <laughs> Your Sinatra knowledge is much more extensive than mine. I can tell you that. That's very good. Jason, did you ever envision that you could be working on Monday Night Football and you went through all these production meetings for Monday Night Football? I don't know how many games you played in Monday Night Football-wise. I'm sure there's a ton of them, but I'm sure you've gone through any number of these production meetings. Any thoughts at that time that that one day could be you next to the great Howard Cosell slash Joe Tessitore? Well, a couple things, guys. I, I think Sinatra died today. He wasn't born today. That's what it was. Ah, oh, we have there clarification. Black cloud. Look at, and Whit, look at, uh, Whit, you're incredible. And the black cloud of the day of his death, Shefty. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, well, I, I have I so like, many great memories. I mean, uh, similar to Tess. I mean, many of I wasn't the son of, a, of an immigrant from Italy, but I, I think for for me, uh, so many good things in my life came from the game of football. I mean, my grandfather. I moved in with him, and uh, I was twelve years old, and uh, he was a high school football coach, and, and he was the greatest mentor, greatest man that I know. And football was a big part of our life, and so I, I remember watching Monday Night Football. Uh, I believe it was nineteen ninety four. My earliest memory of it, the Montana Magic one last time in the mile high. Uh, mm. Montana hit Willie Davis, I believe it was, put his hands in the air. It was a, it was a thing of beauty. But I, I, I cannot give you any John Madden, boom, bam, <laughs> look at the punch <laughs> on this guy. But I will say, I mean, I remember Al Michaels and, and John Madden and how they called the game and, and so much of us watching it as a family and being a part of it. And, and then sitting in those – in those meetings and production meetings with the great team over the years. and uh, It's just a great process. It's the last game of the week, Monday night. Everybody's watching. And uh, that's what, what I'm so excited to join these group. And as you can see, the chemistry with, with Seth and I and certainly with Book as well, uh, I think we're going to be, be able to bring a, a, an insight to the game that's going to be joyful, as Seth said. 
You bring up Booger McFarlane, Lisa Salters, they'll be on the sidelines. Booger McFarlane as a field analyst. Lisa Salters back in her familiar role as a sideline reporter. And one other note, uh, Jason, you were spot on. Frank Sinatra died May 14, wow. 1998, 20 years ago of a heart attack in Los Angeles, California. I remember seeing something about that this morning. I thought it was his birthday. I stand corrected by the no, ever-knowledgeable no, Jason Wade. We do full cupcakes and cakes and candles on December 12th every year. Shefty, I'll bring him into the green room in Bristol Digital <laughs> Center, too, for you next December 12th. By the way, you think he's going to be a good broadcaster when on the spot he's correcting us like that with information? Jason, that was outstanding. outstanding. You know what, though, Shefty? It, it's funny because Tess played along with it like he knew that it was Sinatra's birthday today. It's funny because a few days back was my birthday, and he sent me a, a text the day before. He said, hey, tomorrow, have a great day, you know, going on and on. He said, it's George Clooney's birthday. I said, yeah, it's somebody else's birthday. So he played it off, too, like he knew it was my birthday the same day. But me and Clooney, getting compared to Clooney is a good, oh, good thing to me. It's a, a true story. story. I, I reminded him it was George Clooney's birthday. That's unbelievable. Okay, so, Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Do you know when Joe Tessitore's birthday is? He better. There'll be a big present there. I do not, but uh, he's a young 46. I do know yeah. that. He's, he's making it look good. He, he was born in 1971. He is 47 years old? Not yet. Uh, uh, and he, well, he was born January 1st, 1971, correct? No, I was not. I, if I'm a thoroughbred racehorse, I would recognize my birthday as January 1st. I was born in July, but you're unbelievable. You are on fire today, No. Chef. You are. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jan- Literally, I was looking it up as we went along, and it said January 1st online. No, no, I, I was <laughs> I am not a New Year's baby, but but uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, Damn, I wanted to get that. One one seventy one. I wanted to get that. Yeah, um, Whatever things my way, I'll memorize his <laughs> right. birthday. How about that? Well, now so May now six we, is circled on the calendar now permanently with wit. Now we will know Joe's birthday for sure. Um, Jason, have you had a chance, or will you have a chance to speak to John Gruden about this job and what it entails and what you could expect? In your inaugural NFL broadcasting season? Yeah, I did. I got. I had a chance to speak to him a few weeks ago. Uh, he was great. I mean, he's. I've always admired how he coaches and then calls the game. Just his personality in general. Uh, he had ties to Tennessee. I think he was a graduate assistant under Johnny Major. So I would see him around there from time to time. And then going against him in the early part of my career. So it was great to talk with him and think he spent nine years in this chair that I'm now so fortunate to be able to sit in and. Uh, so he just shared a lot of different details of how he approached it, how he studied, what his work week was like. Um, so we did. We had a good good talk. We talked for about 30 minutes, and uh, so he shared a lot of great things with me. When is the first time that you actually thought that you might want to get into the broadcasting element of football, Jason? I think I always loved having that platform. I mean, over the course of playing for America's team, uh, you're always put in the spotlight, and every day you were in that situation. And as I got older and older, I enjoyed that process more and more. And so I think in the last couple of years, I really started to study it and watch it, not just football, but other sports. You know, big Charles Barkley fan. I love how they communicate it. And I think that's one of the interesting things, playing tight end position, and Tess was referencing it earlier. I mean, certainly understanding the knowledge and, and having awareness and being able to understand the knowledge of, of the game and the position. But on, all, on both sides of it, from the run game, from the passing game, defensive scheme, how they want to run fit, the coverages on the back end. And so then communicating it. 
and that's why I'm working so hard. I know I have a lot to still learn, but I enjoy communicating and share with the viewers. And when you have an opportunity to teach, teach. But uh, be conversational and communicate it and have a lot of fun, and that's what we've been trying to work towards, and that comes natural. And uh, so for me, I, I, I'm excited. I don't have any Spider 2 Y bananas yet or any of that good stuff to hang my hat on, but I really I think I knew about two or three years ago that I was going to enjoy it. And then seeing a, such a good friend, Tony, go through it and how the energy he carried and the forecasting he did, I really watched him and was really just pulling for him more than anything else. And so I thought, man, I'd love to have an opportunity. And so to join an institution like Monday Night Football was a no-brainer and why I'm so fascinated to, to get this started. You talk about learning and you guys working together, and obviously you have a clear rapport with the two of you. But what's ahead for both of you the remainder of this summer leading into the season? Oh, nonstop reps and time spent and – you know, we are, I mean, we're here in New York for some work with ESPN this week alone, and, you know, we're going to be inseparable with Boog for the next few days. We're going to turn, you know, uh, two days from now, we're going to turn half the day into kind of a, a Monday Night Football 101, and then we're going to get together in a few weeks at a at a nice, um, you know, shoreline resort up in New England and just lock in and watch tape and self-scout and and really get a lot of reps, and then we plan on doing that for a good bit of the summer, and then... Man, you saw our schedule in August. Yeah. I mean, we hit the Shefty, We hit the ground somewhere around August sixth, and we just go. I mean, we are calling games. We are calling practice games. We're at stadiums. We're calling games that'll be on ESPN. Games that won't be on ESPN. I think by the time Wit, I think you'd agree with this, right? By based on our schedule, we know right now for the next few months. By the time September tenth comes around with Rams at Raiders, it's probably going to almost feel like mid-season for us, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. How many games will you imagine you'll be calling practice-wise between now and that September 10th Monday night opener between the Rams and the Raiders? What do you think the number will end up being with? Probably 20, 25, I guess, 20. Between voiceover games and actual stadium games? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a high number. Well, I would imagine Joe doesn't need any more practice calling the Chiefs-Titans game. No, no, we're done with that forever. <laughs> May we never see that yet. Yeah, thankfully we have Titans at Cowboys on the schedule this year, and um, although we I, we do have a heck of uh, we got some good Chiefs games on Monday night this year. Of course, the one down Mexico City against the Rams. Jason, what do you think it'll be like for you to broadcast a Dallas Cowboy game next season? I'm excited. I mean, I'm sure it'll be emotional to come back, but uh, I, I think for me, it, 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 I know that I'm going to have to be objective, and so there'll be a lot of emotion tied to it because I have a lot of shared commitment and, and sweat and tears and laughs with a lot of those guys on that team. Uh, but, you know, you're in a different situation. And I think that's the thing about being a part of the NFL. You understand how how uh, precious those opportunities are. So uh, it'll be emotional. It'll be great to get back and see so many people that are, are really a part of my family and I'm a part of theirs. But I know I have a job to do. And, and as, far as, the, as far as the preparation goes, uh, I know I have all the resources around me to uh, allow me to focus. And so my plan is just kind of go underground for a little bit, kind of sort of reprogram, if you will. And, uh, you know, there's great analysts that I'll certainly be reaching out to to touch base and, and take advantage of, you know, visiting with these guys. And so I know we have a plan in place and a lot of work, but just this team around me and uh, that I can lean on to go through it, I, I just couldn't ask for a better situation to be in. You talk about your relationships with the other guys. You talk about being objective. Let's, let's give it a shot right here. What would be the best landing spot for one of your former teammates, Des Bryant? 
Well, I, I think Des is certainly going to have a, some great opportunities. He's motivated, and I think he, he's going to end up going to the Green Bay Packers. I mean, you I do. think that's a great spot for him. Aaron Rodgers, he throws that back shoulder throw so well, uh, and, and Des has great chemistry with a good quarterback that can put the ball wherever he wants because I still believe Des can high point the football as good as there is anybody, any other wide receiver in the National Football League. So you partner him up with Jimmy Graham and, and, and Aaron Rodgers, I think that offense can put up a lot of points. And losing Jordy Nelson here in the offseason when they cut him, I think it's a win-win for the Packers. I, I look for him to go there and uh, to really help them take the next step and get back on the playoff run. What makes you think he will wind up with Green Bay? Well, I don't have any insight on that. I just think that Des is a smart football player, and so he understands – how important the quarterback position is. And that's what's so unique about being a starting receiver in the National Football League. His growth with, with Dak in the last couple of years uh, was off the charts. And so then last year, we didn't produce very well as an offense. His stats were, were a shell of themselves of what they used to be. But I tell you, another team that he can end up going to is Drew Brees and the Saints. That's a vertical passing attack. You need somebody that can stretch the field and that X factor, uh, that's Des Bryant. So I'm not certain that he goes to the Packers. I just think that's a great fit. But he's going to partner with a great quarterback and have somebody that he feels like can contend for a championship. Saints and Packers are kind of the lead, lead dogs right now, in my opinion. It's a little early for this right now, but I'm going to ask both of you guys this anyway. It's September 10th, 1020 Eastern. You guys get the second game of a Monday Night Football doubleheader. What are we going to see when we get the Rams in Oakland against John Gruden and the Raiders? I think it's the, I personally I think it's the most fascinating game of opening weekend and you know we've talked a, a lot about it but you know the Rams being the win now free agent buzz team and the return of Gruden I think storyline wise it's as good of an opener as as we could have asked for I really do and I'm very curious to see and I think this is going to be now we're going to spend time with both teams in August um, a good amount of time but I'm really curious to see if the Rams and if Witt feels this way, if we're dealing with a collection of mercenaries or if we're dealing with a culture that can get this done the way it's expected to get done right now. Jason? Yeah, I mean, you got Chucky going to the black hole, the $100 million man. I think it's not only is it the game of the week, but I think it may be one of the games of the season because I believe the Rams, not only the, the lead dogs in the NFC West, but on top of the entire NFC, maybe behind Philadelphia. So I like what the Rams did this all season. People look at it as uh, they're building it for one season. I don't think so. I mean, Sean McVay, we know how brilliant he is as an offensive play caller, but it just works. He speaks the language. He's young. He understands. He's one of those Gen X type of coaches. He's got his guys at Wade Phillips, the gray-headed coach that's been there before. He's a defensive guru. And so I like the additions the Rams have made. I think it's not only one of the top games of the week, but top games of the year. And You know it's going to be electric up there in the black hole with Chucky coming home. I think it's the kind of game that reveals a lot, isn't it? That we fi- we find out a lot is confirmed very early, based on what we see that night. And it's a long season, obviously, but yeah. you know, it's going to be there's going to be something that comes of that result. I think that's always the case every week. You know, you say a team's going to play in the opener, and we should learn a lot, and then you learn a lot until they play the next week, and then you learn more, right? And then you learn more the next week. So to there's me, every- something about the Rams with everything that happened this off season. Oh yeah, Peters oh. and Sue and Cooks and. And you can watch. You just going I think everybody's gonna watch that first week very closely and say, "Oh, okay, it's exactly what we thought it to be." Yep, they're that. Yeah, you know, or or it's not. And, well, I, Jason, and I think the Rams are here to stay. I mean, people talk about can they, you know, were they a one-hit wonder? And 
I, I think Sean McVay is just a young Einstein. I mean, I went against him those years in Washington. I mean, not only is he a great play caller, but taking his shot and having opportunities to tack down the field and what he's done with golf, he's just going to continue to build on that. And that's why I'm so high on them. You could see then that Sean McVay was somebody different and somebody special, Jason, when you were going up against Washington year after year? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw early on, going before he was the coordinator, he was a tight ends coach. And, uh, you know, he's 26 years old and he's running a tight end room. And I, I remember having some conversations with him. He had Chris Cooley. They were doing some unique situations where they, they, they were the first ones to kind of, you know, run double moves consistently in games with the tight end position. And I think Sean had a lot to do with that. And, and you could see he communicated that. He stayed on when Shanahan got let go. He, he got promoted with a new coach. I mean, that doesn't happen very often in our league. And, and so for, for him to have this opportunity, have an offense that can attack the field they, the way they do, add these pieces on the defensive side of the ball, and let Wade Fields kind of do his magic on that side of it. And, uh, you know, I think Les Snead is smart to add these pieces, uh, the general manager for the, for the Rams. And so... Uh, you could see it early on, and then he did it as a play caller. They switched over from Griffin to Cousins, and every step of the way, you go, "Oh man, this guy's special." And it just—he reminds me a lot of Sean Payton with the way he attacks downfield with his play calling. And as I said, you can see his team—they rally behind him. It's not just he's a good play caller; it's just he communicates with them. He's honest. He pushes them. He's not afraid to get after them. So I, I think I can't say enough great things about him as a play caller and as a head coach. He's yeah, you st- really have no future as a Monday Night Football analyst. <laughs> oh, I mean, Shefty, what? Stop. I yeah, mean, no, please. It, it's, it's pretty apparent, his knowledge yeah. of the game, his interest in the game, and, and his interest in Frank Sinatra. And I also should tell you, in the interest of accuracy, I pride myself on accuracy, Jason, right? So during the course of our interview, I actually took a picture and texted it to Joe. He did. That there's a site on Google that said that Joe Tessitore's birthday is Friday, January 1st, 1971. 47 years old Capricorn. So that is incorrect. So I got some yeah, bad it's, information. Correct. I'm a 46-year-old, but, but uh, yeah. But I will be celebrating a second birthday now, thanks to you, Sheffy. Well, happy belated birthday Thank to Jason. You, Congratulations to both of you guys. I appreciate taking the time. I know you guys are going to do tremendous things for our company, for fans watching Monday Night Football, and we look forward to watching you this summer and in the fall. Thank you. It's great to spend time with you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jason. All right, Sheffy. Talk soon. Special thanks to Joe Tessitore and Jason Witten. We appreciate them giving us some of their time. They'll be spending plenty of time together this season. Nice to see them doing it again this week on the Adam Schefter Podcast. Until next week's episode, thanks for listening today, everybody.